Welcome to Hunters and Unicorns, the Sales Leaders Playbook. It's with a great pleasure that we welcome to the show, Paul McGrath. Paul has a great sense of humor, but an even bigger heart. This has helped him recruit some of the most influential CROs that are driving the fastest growing technology companies in the world. In this unique encounter, we discover how he identifies and nurtures talent and how he has made his switch from military to sales leadership. This is his playbook. we investigate one of the greatest success stories in the history of software sales. 33 CXOs learnt the playbook from one man, John McMahon, a legacy which stretches back to the late 90s at a company called PTC. They were later reunited at Blade Logic, which was acquired by BMC. What happened next was truly remarkable. These CXOs went on to become the most prolific sales leaders in the software industry. They've raised over 22 billion in VC funding. They contribute to 4% of software turnover globally, 26 unicorns, eight decacorns, and the companies they drive have a combined valuation of 230 billion. At Hunters and Unicorn, we're revealing their playbook. Welcome to Hunters and Unicorns. I'm Simon Kutis and I'm joined by my co-host, Lolly Kune. Hey, everyone. And it's an absolute privilege and honor to be joined today by Paul McGrath. Paul, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. How you doing? Very good. Welcome to the show, Paul. Good to see you, Ali. In the way of an introduction, Paul, you're currently the Vice President Central at Snowflake, what an incredible journey Snowflake has been, obviously. What a great success story um, with, the, with the IPO recently, obviously making a lot of headline news. Tell us briefly um, a little bit about your role there and, and what it is that you're currently doing at Snowflake. So right now I'm, uh, as you said, the VP of uh, actually the north central part of the United States. Um, so I handle the upper Midwest, if you will. And uh, I've got several sales teams reporting to me and I'm responsible for the business of Snowflake in that area. Yeah. Obviously, it's a great time to be part of the business. There's, there's, there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of uh, coverage <laughs> with a successful IPO. Um, and, and we're going to talk a little bit more around, you know, what you've been brought in to do uh, kind of a bit later on in the, in the show. Sure. So, Paul, I just want to go right to the beginning. Okay. Um, I want... If you could just tell us, how did you get into software sales? Oh, well, that's a funny story. So I, I had gotten out of the, the military and my first sales job was actually selling copiers, big copiers for Eastman Kodak Company, um, you know, competing with Xerox. And um, I did that for several years and I, I had landed a job in Pittsburgh and, you know, I'm a big believer in timing and luck, guys. And um, as luck would have it, a recruiter called me out of the blue and um, said, you know, there's this company called Parametric Technology. Um, 
and they sell software. They sell mechanical design software. And I remember laughing because I was like, look, I don't even know how to turn on a computer. I don't know why you're calling me. And, you know, unbeknownst to me at the time, PTC targeted several different industries uh, because they were building out this, you know, as we've all come to know this, you know, very aggressive meat eating sales team. So they went after industries where people, um, you know, knew how to sell and, and, and were involved in, you know, pretty edgy type of selling in terms of, you know, just face-to-face, a lot of cold calling, a lot of prospecting. So that's why they called me. And, um, you know, the rest is history. I went through an interview process that was very interesting and uh, got the job. When you say interesting, can you talk us through the, uh, the interview process? <laughs> yeah, I remember, uh, I still remember to this day, I, I'm dating myself now, but I was with my wife. Um, we came home, I think, from a dinner and I had a, a recording on the answering machine and it was this regional manager from uh, New Jersey and he's really fired up voice and intense. And he's like, Paul, this is so-and-so. And And, uh, I work for a company called Parametric Technology and it's the greatest software company in the world. And I'd like to talk to you about joining it. And I was, you know, my wife and I listened to this and we were like, what, you know, this is crazy. So long story short, that was on a Tuesday. I talked to this guy, he got me on a flight on a Thursday. I flew from Pittsburgh to New York to White Plains. I interviewed with him and another gentleman, um, his boss, his name was Jim Vetta. Um, and that was on a Thursday night. They told me, first they told me that I was terrible. I would never amount to anything, um, you know, that type of thing. You know, throw, they threw a lot of objections your way. Let's just say that. And I thought it was kind of curious. But then at the same time, they were trying to recruit you a little bit and tell you what a great company it was. But then they'd say, but, you know, you're terrible and you probably don't know how to sell and blah, blah, blah. Um, so that was kind of funny. But long story short, they put me on a plane. They said, we're, we're going to fly you down to Atlanta on Friday. And I, this was just a blur to me. I, they got me a hotel room in White Plains. And they said, we want you to jump on a plane to Atlanta and go meet this other guy. I said, okay. So I fly down there on a Friday and I interviewed with this gentleman who was a vice president at the time uh, at Parametric and uh, kind of the same song and dance. He said, I don't know why these guys flew you down to me. You know, I don't know why you're not too impressive and blah, blah, blah. So I had to, I was learning at the time that, you know, okay, this is just part of their process. Um, And then he flew, he said, I want you to fly to Boston on Monday. And I flew up to Boston and I was supposed to interview with John McMahon. Um, And John McMahon was walking around the office, I think, but he was busy in some other meeting. So I actually interviewed with a guy by the name of Dick Underwood. Um, And I remember seeing McMahon, but I never met him. Um, But he was walking around the uh, office with a baseball bat. I'll never forget that. He was just (laughs) kind of walking around. So I was like, oh, this is an interesting place. But, the, the, you know, the whole mode of operation at PTC was they, they like to punch you in the face and, and just see how you react to this, uh, to these objections, just to see, I think, if you had the metal or if you were tough enough. Um, 
So when I say interesting, it was interesting in the sense that I think some of the questions they asked, you probably wouldn't be allowed to ask today. Some of the tactics they used in the interview process probably would not be uh, received well in today's working environment, but it was just funny and it was interesting. But in the span of Thursday to Monday, I had gone from selling for, at the time, a blue chip big company called Kodak. And on Monday, I'd accepted a job offer at this software company that I had no idea, you know, really what they were doing, but they were telling me I was going to make a lot of money. And I said, okay, well, I'm into that as a young guy. I want to make a lot of money. And the rest is history. Great story. I, I suppose kind of listening to that, there's, you, you, you came from a military background. Do you think that that kind of gave you some of the resilience that was needed for you to kind of overcome that kind of interview process? Oh, without a doubt. Um, I think the fact that I, I went to West Point and went through that experience, um, it, it, it it certainly trained me in the sense of, uh, or, or got me used to dealing in um, with stressful situations or people challenging you and how do you respond to that? So in that sense, uh, for sure. Um, you know, I remember, this is really funny. You guys are bringing back memories. I remember in my initial interview at PTC, I adjusted my glasses at the time I wore uh, glasses. And um, th this one gentleman the guy interviewing me said, are you nervous right now? And I, I looked at him and I said, well, are you going to hit me? Are you going to? And he said, he, he like took a step. He's like, no, I'm, I'm not going to hit you. And I said, then we're fine. We're, I said, as long as you don't hit me, we're, we're good to go. <laughs> and it was just a funny experience, you know, but I think going back to the military thing, you know, I was like, okay, I'm fine with with these guys you know everyone puts their pants on one leg at a time as my father used to say so i didn't get too nervous with those guys but it was funny for sure i mean it's quite an extreme to go through you know what you're describing is quite quite extreme but do you think on reflection it shows you just how precise they were in terms of identifying the right traits that they wanted to hire against because you can imagine that a lot of people would not have had what it takes to get through a process like that do you do, do, do you reflect on it in that same way or do you think perhaps they just took it too far oh i think well <laughs> that's a that's a good question i would say there's a combination of both there i think mm -hmm. yes they had a really clear hiring profile of what they wanted. And I learned that after I got there and then I became a hiring manager there, um, I learned exactly what they were looking for. To your later point or to your later uh, statement about, did they take it too far? I think, you, you know, I think everyone that goes back at PTC, anyone you would talk to would say, yeah, there was a little bit of excess. And what I mean by that is, I'll give you a statistic that I think is interesting. There were uh, 15 people in my new hire training class at PTC. That's, that's where I met John McMahon for the first time, actually. He came in to say hello to everyone, and he went around and introduced himself to everybody. And we were in this, uh, this uh, U uh, classroom, you know, U-shaped classroom. Our desks were like that. Mm -hmm. 
there were 15 of us in six months, um, two quarters later, there were two of us left of that new hire class that were still at PTC. Me and this uh, woman from California, because we would stay in touch um, as, as new hires, we would kind of stay in touch with each other. But what that told me was, uh, yes, they certainly hired to a specific profile and their, their process was tough. Um, but I think that the, the one, you know, I would say negative or, or down or downside of the PTC experience was we had a pretty high attrition rate. And I think, um, and I think they started to recognize that the leadership started to recognize that, that in, in their, in our zeal to grow, at the rate we were growing and to win and to take this mature market of CAD and really make an impact, we were on a tear. And, um, and unfortunately, I think at the beginning of the PTC, you know, the early days, a lot of people that were probably pretty decent salespeople that, but they, they just didn't get invested in just because PTC didn't have the time to, uh, to do some training. And I think, you know, I think that's a feather in McMahon's cap in that when John took over as like VP of North America and then worldwide, he, he, he did a better job of investing in training. And he recognized that we had a, an attrition problem, which is a credit to him as a leader. So fast forwarding, obviously, to, in 2000, you left, you joined um, Kana, um and then Kana, yep. Kana sorry. And then it's okay. In 2003, you went and joined Blade Logic. Or was it 2004 you joined Blade Logic? Yeah, I actually, um, I went to Kana. Um, why did I go to? I went to Kana because there were a couple of people over there from PTC, actually. Okay. Um, you know, the, the funny thing about PTC was. Uh, the, the blessing of PTC was there was a network of people that came out of that. And I'm sure that's, you know, one of the reasons you guys are doing this series and stuff, but there was a whole bunch of people that came out of that, that were very successful. Um, and so I went to work at Kana because I had a friend of mine who I think you fellows have spoken to his name's Marty Cardi, um, who probably I think is the best sales guy I've ever met in my life. Um, best technology sales guy, but he was over at Kana and he told me about Kana. So I joined. Um, and then after that, um, we had a decent run there and, and made some money. Um, in between Kana and Blade Logic, I actually worked for a small startup called IE Engine, Insurance Engine. And the CEO of that company was John McMahon. <laughs> um, and there was only about four of us, four sales guys at the time. And I remember I drove up to Chicago. I met John for dinner. He told me about the company and I was like, yeah, I'll do it primarily because it was John. And, you know, I, I, I really enjoyed him and his leadership style. And I thought, well, if for nothing else, I'm going to, you know, get to know this guy and learn a lot from him, which is what happened. Um, but that, you know, that was a tough gig. Um, we all gave it our best shot. And then Blade Logic in 2004 is when I joined Blade Logic. Yeah. 
So, so how different was it? Obviously, from PTC to Blade Logic, you identified kind of some of the the, the challenges at PTC. Um, what was what was the kind of the difference? Oh, I, I would just say a natural maturation of leadership. That was the real difference. I mean, at Blade Logic, we had a lot of guys that were. Blade Logic was kind of like, let's get the band back together. It was that type of thing. Um, there were a lot of folks over there that had come from PTC. But I would say the difference was, um, you know, there was a lot of investment in training and and uh, there was a lot of uh, premium put on leadership, um, good leadership and caring about people and just the, the good blocking and tackling that I would say um, at PTC, there was a lot of it, but there was also some missing. Um, at, at Blade Logic, people got hired and people got promoted and it was much more intentional. Even though we were growing very fast, it was much more intentional. And there were a lot of decisions made. A lot of thought went into those decisions before people got promoted. I'll put it, I'll sure. put it that way. Just tell us a little bit about you as a salesperson within Blade Logic. So, did you struggle? Did you hit the ground running? Just tell us a little bit about some of your success and challenges uh, when you, you know, when you were selling. Um, when I was selling at Blade Logic, I would say um, I wouldn't say I struggled mightily. Um, well, I'll just say this, any sales job, um, <laughs> if you work hard, is a struggle, especially the prospecting and pipeline generation. That's always a struggle. That's always tough to do. Um, but you know you have to do it. And I would say that the one thing that, the one fundamental skill that you learned at PTC was how to generate pipeline, how to pick up the phone and get after it. So I would say, um, I, I I was pretty successful as a sales guy at Blade Logic for a couple of reasons. One, the work ethic was there. Um, and that was something that I just learned that you have to, you know, sales at the end of the day is still a numbers game and you just got to hustle. Um, the other cool thing was the technology was, was interesting. Um, we had a really unique technology um, and, it, and it was, uh, the idea of it was great. We had some product challenges um, with with Blade Logic, <laughs> but but we could certainly sell the vision, and that was fun. Um, but yeah, I you know I, I would say I hit the ground running in the sense of I had some good fundamental skills that that I had learned over the years that I could bring to bear, and that helped me uh, be successful as a salesperson at Blade Logic. And did you join as, as an individual contributor or did you join as a, as, as a manager? I joined as an individual contributor. Yeah. Okay. And I, um, I sold, sold for about a year and a half or so. And then, um, yeah, about a year and a half. And then John McMahon asked me to, uh, to take a, the next step to be a leader, to be a right. manager. And, and what was the reason for that? Did, you know, it's funny, manager. It, it's funny. Um, that's a funny story because I was a reluctant um, leader 
And what I mean by that is I had led at PTC and, you know, the difference between individual contributor in the, in this, in the software sales game, when you're an individual contributor, you just worry about yourself. You know, I mean, you, you've got an SC and, and you, you know, that it's a kind of a team sale. And, but at the end of the day, you just worry about making money and you care about yourself. When you become a leader, obviously you, you, you got to put yourself in the back seat and not worry about that. You're, you've got a responsibility to your team. And I was well aware of that just because of my experience in the military as a leader and then at PTC. And um, so I was frankly quite enjoying my time as an individual contributor. So uh, I actually flew up to Boston and um, I, had had a, I had had a crappy quarter um, one quarter as a sales guy and I was flying, I was going up to Boston and you know, it's, this is hard to believe, but um, I told my wife, I said, John McMahon wants me to come up to Boston and I, I don't know what he wants. I think he might put a bullet in my, I think he might shoot me. Um, Cause I had a crap quarter. And so I go up there and I have lunch with John. He's like, you know why I'm asked you up here. And I was like, I, to be honest with you, John, I don't. And he was like, I want you to, you know, I want you to take this job in, in the central region. I want you to, step up and it's, you know, it's time to stop screwing around and step up and be a leader. And I, I remember saying, Oh, Oh, sure. That's great. <laughs> I was kind of relieved. I was like, Oh, okay. I still had a job. <laughs> um, and I, that's kind of funny, but uh, I remember it quite vividly actually. Um, but it, it was, it was a good experience, but I remember um, it, it was a, it was quite uh, a sobering uh, decision, but just because you know when you become a leader, it's it's a different ball game. So you got to get your mind right around what your job is, and um, so yeah. And so, obviously, you you know at that point, stepping up to become a leader, um, you've obviously had previous experience at PTC. Was there a different expectation at Blade Logic in comparison to PTC about the responsibilities of leadership? I think um, the you know we touched on this a little bit, but I, I would say the difference at Blade Logic was again a, a much more um, everyone was older, everyone was more mature, and uh, McMahon had come into Blade Logic and was establishing um, a culture that I, I think placed a premium on you know, leaders taking care of their people and, and making, I don't mean taking care of people by uh, what I don't mean is, you know, nurturing them and, and being kind of soft and willy nilly and giving them a hug. That's not what I mean. What I mean is making people better and holding them accountable. And there was a, there was a lot of emphasis on that at Blade Logic. Um, and that was a difference at uh, then then at PTC. PTC was much more focused on numbers and productivity um, at at any expense. And I don't mean to paint paint it in such a dark way. That's I'm not trying to do that. But I would just say at Blade Logic there was much more emphasis on developing us as leaders and focusing on making people better. Yeah. That was the big difference. 
Yeah, because one of you know your name was actually brought to our attention as well, and has come up a couple of times in in being an individual that's got a great eye for talent to the point that I believe Dali Rajik was 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 one of your hires. Um, mm. What was it that enabled you to identify good individuals, and and why have you been highlighted as this individual thing? Um. Well. I don't know why I've been highlighted. Um, <laughs> I, I, I won't talk about that. Well, what I will say is this. Okay, so a name like that, Dolly Ryich. Um, you know, to be perfectly honest, I sat down with Dolly Ryich and I immediately knew this guy is way better than I am. Uh, he's smart, he's driven. He's measured, he's mature. Um, he had worked for a guy uh, that I knew back from PTC. And I called this guy and I was like, hey, what do you think of this guy, Dolly Ryich? And um, this guy was like, I would hire him in a heartbeat. I would take this guy in a heartbeat, you know, just effusive with his praise. But then after I interviewed Dolly, I was like, this guy is just going to make my life so much easier. The point I'm trying to make is um, if you look for talent, uh, if you're a hiring manager and if you look for people that bring something to the table that you don't have, your life becomes so much easier. And I think the biggest mistake that young leaders make is that they, um, they lack humility. And what I mean by that is they, they, they aren't looking, they're maybe insecure or something, but if, if they look at hiring someone better than them, they might be worried that this person might outshine them or something like that. And I think nothing could be further from the truth. You know, if I hired a team of Dolly Riaches, then my, my boat's going to float to the top just, you know, cause he's going to do his job and crush it, which is what he did. Yeah. And the rest is history. He's, he's had a tremendous career. Yeah. So what specifically would you say it was about Dali that, that Sean being, you know, exceptional or somebody that could bring something different to the table? Well, with him, um, I've hired some really talented folks with him. It was the questions that he asked and right. you can, you, you can learn a lot from, um, you know, you ask certain questions in an interview and um, I've learned some really good questions from a lot of great folks like, uh, you know, either McMahon or uh, Jeremy Duggan is a great interviewer. I don't, you know, I'm sure you guys know who Jeremy Duggan is, hmm. um, but I learned a lot from him. But um, you can ask questions and, and figure out what kind of answers you're going to get and their thoughtful answers. And okay, so that's one part of the puzzle. But the other part is, what kind of questions does this interviewee, this person sitting across the table from you, what, what kind of questions is he or she asking you? And if they're challenging questions or they're questions that demonstrate uh, a genuine curiosity, that tells me that this person is going to be a very good salesperson. Because I, I would say one of the biggest, you know, Marty Cardi, I brought that name up before. And I said, he's probably the best sales guy I've ever met. And I've ever seen work because I worked closely with him when we were at PTC and Blade Logic and Kana. Um, 
he is one of the most curious people you'll ever meet in your life. He just wants to know. He's got a real desire for understanding things, whether it's the technology or, you know, a business, how do you make money? He'll dig in to a business and have conversations with the business people to find out, you know, how does their business work? What drives it? Because that's where they, that's where he can find out where the pain is, you know? And um, a guy like Dolly Ryich in an interview asked me some really good questions, you know, just about me, about my style, about my business, where I was taking the business in the Midwest. Cause he was just, he was finding out, all right, who was this guy? Does he have a plan? Can I learn something? And can I, you know, excel? And uh, I would say that's the X factor for good salespeople. Great insight there. So it's not just Dali. So some of the other, some of the other people on your, on your very special roster, Scott Davis, I believe, Tom Schmidt, Scott Sinatra. Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty stellar list in terms of the 33 CXOs. That's, you know, that's, you know, you're doing well. That's already more than 10%. Yeah. Well, they're all, they're all smarter than I am. So they're all better than I am. So how hard was that? Paul, you mentioned something there when you were just talking that um, you learned a lot from Jeremy Duggan. It's not just the fact it's Jeremy Duggan, but you hired, did you hire Jeremy Duggan or was he working no. underneath you? No, he wasn't no, no. Working, no. But when um, I, but these guys I, were I, more due. He worked for you, right? No, not, not Jeremy. Not Jeremy. Okay. So, um, well, I, I don't know if you've got a, I'll let you finish your question. I was just going to say that it's interesting that you were always open to learn from people that you were hiring. And obviously in that situation, Jeremy wasn't someone that you hired, but you were always learning from even someone like Dali and even probably likes to Scott Davis. I imagine that you you were open enough to to learn. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's part of this whole idea of, um, you know, there has to be a sense of um, humility um, in this game because there are so many talented people. So I remember when I hired Scott Davis, he was selling for, uh, he was selling, I think, chemicals at the time, you know, at PTC. And I got his name from someone. I forget who. Um, And so I called him and I left him a message and he returned my call. Little did I know that I think I I'm almost positive. If I remember correctly, Scott was like in the hospital, in a hospital room. He had just had some shoulder or knee surgery or something crazy. And I called him and I was like, Hey, I'm not a recruiter. You know, I I work for this company, PTC. Um, And I heard your name and, you know, I heard you're good. So why don't we sit down and chat? So, you know, and then I hired him, but again, another, that's another good example of a guy that really impressed me in the interview. And I was like, wow, this, this guy is really sharp. Um, And boy, if I could get him, he would make my life easy. And, you know, sure enough, within a year, he did one of the biggest deals in the Philadelphia region, Um, just a consistent performer and boom, you know, Scott, had a wonderful career and, um, you know, 
one of the things I learned from Scott Davis was he was, he's really detail oriented. You know, he's, he's a good guy. He's a fun guy, but he's really smart. And he asks very specific questions. Like I would be on a sales call with him and he would really drill into folks and ask questions. So, you know, that's another little thing that you take from someone, you know, Scott Sinatra, same Tommy Schmidt, you know, all these guys, they're all really smart, curious. They're all individuals. They're all different, uh, but they're all really talented. And so how can you not learn something from guys like this? Yeah. And so you talk about learning something from them. Um, but as I said, it was actually Marty Carty that brought to my attention that you actually had, you were, you were, you were, you were very, very, very good at identifying good talent, but also enabling good talent as well. So it's all, you, you talk about learning something from them, but they've obviously learned a lot from you. What is it and how do you nurture that talent to get them to where they need to get to? Um, that's a good question. That, I can't put my... Uh, you'd have to ask those guys what they learned from me. I think what I tried to do was create an environment of um, the one thing I learned at West Point um, from a leadership standpoint was um, you have to know who you are as a person and you have to know what your strengths are, what, what your weaknesses are. And you have to just, you know, you, you have to be yourself when you're in a leadership position, you cannot um, take on the personality of someone else when you're a leader um, because people see through that. And I used to tell folks, it's like, um, I don't know if you guys are parents, but uh, you know, when you hold a baby and you're really nervous and someone hands you the baby, if that baby senses that you're really nervous, that baby isn't too, isn't feeling too good, you know, and it will start to cry or whatever. Um, and I think it's because babies have this sense of, are they with someone that is taking care of them and, and confident? Um, and, and, you know, I think as a leader, uh, you have to know who you are and you have to, you know, always be trying to get better, but you have to know who you are and, and you can't portray a, a different personality or a different affect. And I think what I hope those guys took from me was they're all unique. They're all unique guys. And what I, what I hope they took from me was the way they lead is not trying to be um, Paul McGrath or, uh, or someone else uh, that's they're true to themselves. And I think that's when you're most effective. You know, when you work at a company with strong personalities, and I'll give you two examples. We talked about Jeremy Duggan. So I met Jeremy. We were both at PTC and we were both at Blade Logic, but I didn't really get to know him until I moved over to Europe because McMahon asked me to go run Central Europe for BMC after the acquisition. And it was me in the Central region. Jeremy ran the UK and Northern Europe, and Cedric Pesh ran Southern Europe. And so I really got to know those two guys. And 
and I'll say that they're both very good friends of mine. But within a quarter or two, Jeremy got promoted to run Europe. So I went from being a peer of Jeremy's to working for him. Mm. And it was one of the best experiences of my life. Um, and the reason I say that is Jeremy has got this, he's, uh, he's really smart, obviously, but he's got a great sense of humor. And he and I have a similar sense of humor. So we give each other a hard time, but um, he's got a strong personality. And I would say that there are some guys that would work for Jeremy that would try and be Jeremy. And if they do that, they'll fail because there's only one Jeremy Duggan. Similar, you know, John McMahon. I think a lot of guys at PTC tried to be or tried to take on some traits or, or personality affectation of, of John McMahon. And you can't do that because there's only one John McMahon. You know, he's got some unique traits or characteristics and only he can pull that off. Um, so I, I think I'm getting, I'm, I'm beating around the bush to your question and I hope I answered it, but hopefully that's what those guys took from me, which is just, you know, learn how to be yourself and, um, and, and just be curious and be open to learning from others and have everyone else's interest in mind. And I think if you take care of other people, they'll take care of you. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a really humble way of answering that question. And I think at the end of the day, it's kind of a really powerful trait and, and a really powerful skill set to, to be able to do that. And, and would you say that that's how you've developed is by, by absorbing off of others and, and learning from others in, in that way? I, yeah, I think so. I think I'm a product of uh, the good and the bad the positives and the negatives of everyone that I've interacted with. Um, and, you know, I, I would say I'm at the tail end of my um, career in this game. And, um, and I'm really happy because uh, I'm at this company snowflake that I would say is one of the, it's going to be one of the great software stories in this space. But like I work for a guy today who is an unbelievable leader and I'm learning a ton from him. Um, and I've got five or six peers that run the rest of North America um, and every one of them. And I would say, yeah, I think I, I think they're all younger than I am, but they're all great. And I'm learning a ton from those guys. You know, they've got a different set of experiences that they're bringing to the table and they've got a different perspective. So I can talk to them and say, Hey, how would you, uh, how would you deal with this person or how would you handle this situation? And I think that's, um, that's, that's the fun part of this job, which is being surrounded by really sharp people. Mm. That's the key to McMahon's success, by the way. Yep. yep. McMahon Absolutely. knows that. Completely agree. And he knows, he knows how to hire the right people and create this environment where you're, you're just looking around. You're like, man, I'm with a bunch of A players and how can I, how can I not just love the hell out of this, what yeah. I'm doing right now, you know? Well, you, you're taking the word, the true definition to enablement then, aren't you, really? You're enabling people to, to, to not only just reach their potential, but to, to go beyond that by giving them the tool sets that they need to do it and do it in their own way, which is yeah. why I think, you know, the second generation of individuals that have come from this have 
have done it their own way. And those ones that have been real true successes in this have done it in their own way and created their own personal legacy um, because they haven't necessarily followed in suit and done what everybody else has done in the way that everybody else has done. And I think it's people like you have enabled them to do that, which is just a phenomenal story. Yeah. Yeah. I would say it is. I think it's, um, I think at the end of the day, this business, um, this business is all about uh, people. Mm. You know, if you talk to any leader, remember I have a conversation with Kelly Connery. You mentioned Kelly Connery. Uh, we talked about him. He was the CRO at Bizarre Voice. And when I ran Europe for Bizarre Voice, I reported to Kelly, which was a real joy. Um, Kelly was a PTC guy, you know, um, Kelly knows the vocabulary and the playbook and all that stuff, but he's just a genuinely good guy. Mm. Um, and I remember talking to him about the job, about his job. And he was like, Paul, 90% of my time is just people, just people issues, uh, challenges, um, talent cultivation. Um, do we have the right people in the right spots? All that stuff. Um, and it goes, you know, Ollie, to your point, it, it's all about, you know, are we doing what we need to do to enable these folks to, to do their job and do it well? Mm. It's interesting because your playbook elements, the first one is recruitment. And it's, it's interesting that I, when you came up with your playbook and when we spoke about it, I said to you, do you, do you want to hone in on something specific within recruitment? Do you want to talk about, you know, recruitment process or recruitment, you know, or, or some aspect of recruitment? And you said, no, just recruitment. And I think this is what you're kind of referring to. This is what you're kind of alluding to that recruitment in its entirety is, is a fundamental part of your, of your kind of playbook. Do you want to just tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I think, um, well, you know, we talk about playbook, you know, as a leader, your job is what they, they, what we say, the three R's, you know, recruitment, retention, and revenue. And, you know, two of those R's have to do with people. Revenue is revenue, but recruitment and retention is all about people, which, which is indicative of the importance of it. Um, obviously it's kind of, it's a very obvious statement, but it's, it's something that's, I think, glossed over and not, there's not enough time spent on it, you know? So, um, your success as a sales organization in the software space, any sales organization. So let's just backtrack, not just software. Your success as a sales organization is going to start with, do you have the right people? Um, and are you, have you come up with a recruiting profile? Do you know what kind of person it's going to take to do this job? Um, and there might be some differences based on the, the, what you're selling, you know, so you really got to dig into that. Um, that was one thing that I think PTC did a decent job, but certainly, uh, Blade Logic did a decent job of saying, Hey, who are we hiring and what do we want to hire and what traits do they have to have? Like if you talk to, uh, if you talk to anyone in app dynamics, um, that was, that was there with Dolly and Jeremy, 
um, they had a very specific recruiting, you know, intel- they called it ICE, intelligence, character, coachability, and experience, I'm pretty sure, with a four. Yep. Um, but that's, you know, that's a, that's a development of, I'm sure, Dol- Dolly and Jeremy having conversations with each other saying, hey, what do we need to train our guys to look for? And, and what questions can we ask? What, what can we enable our guys or gals to, to say, all right, what questions can we find out about intelligence? And what questions can we ask to find out if someone is coachable? And character, what does that mean? You know, and experience is the last, experience is important, but it's the most unimportant, unimportant of the four, if you will. So. I think, you've, you know, when, when we talk about recruitment, retention and revenue, and, and it comes back to your philosophy, which is recruit the right person, look after the person and normally looking after the person um, to, to, to obtain the retention. Looking after that person doesn't mean suppressing them and, and not allowing them to fully grow. Looking after somebody is allowing somebody to grow and fundamentally look after those two parts. You've recruited the right person. They're happy with their job. Fundamentally, they're going to generate revenue. So I suppose they, they sort of dovetail each other, right? Yeah, they really do. I think revenue is just a natural byproduct of, of what happens. You know, re- recruiting, we kind of talked about. Retention is, um, retention is uh, I would say, really, it's multifaceted. Retention in the sense of, yeah, you want to keep your talent. You want to retain good talent. But there's an implication there, which is um, you need to train them, you need to enable them, everything you just talked about, right? Um, you need to make decisions about people too, which a lot of times is hard because sometimes you may have to make a hard decision that says, okay, um, maybe I hired this person and maybe this, or maybe I didn't hire this person, I inherited this person and this person uh, is a leader or, or is promoted. And you come in and you do your assessment, you're working with this person and you, you, you figure out that, yeah, this person's got some great fundamental traits and this person knows how to do this, this, and this, but maybe this person isn't in the right position. And being able to have a conversation, a candid, authentic conversation with this person to say, hey, you know what? Um, you need to be doing this because I think that's better for you and I think it's better for the company. Um, and sometimes those are hard conversations because maybe they're not, you know, maybe I'm hiring Oliver and I'm saying, hey, Ollie, and Ollie is a leader. And I'm saying, Ollie, you know what? I don't think you should be in a leadership position right now. I think you need to, I think you're a great sales guy and I think you need to go back to selling and you need a couple more at bats as a salesperson. And then I think maybe in a year or two, you'll be ready to be a leader. And maybe Ollie doesn't want to hear that because Ollie's got an ego and, Ollie tells his friends that he's a manager at the bar over a couple beers and he doesn't want to tell people, oh, I'm, I'm going back to selling, but maybe that's the best thing for Ollie. And that's part of retention too. Mm. You know, uh, that's, you, that happens in this career of ours. Some of us get setbacks and a lot of times it's for the best, you know, because yeah. you learn a lot from those. 
So just going back to your timeline, right? So um, PTC 1995 to 2000, um, you, you did your, um, obviously we spoke about Blade Logic, um, October 2004 is when you joined and then the acquisition happened. Um, BMC, well, first it was the IPO, which must have been a lot of fun with, the, with, with that whole kind of excitement. And then just three quarters later, BMC come in and you're now part of BMC. Tell us about your yeah. experiences during that time. Um, well, it was great. We got a double whammy, right? We got the <laughs> IPO, which was awesome. And then we got acquired. And uh, yeah, so, so that was fun. But I will say that, you know, when we got acquired, um, I think a lot of us at Blade Logic, when we got acquired, immediately had one foot out the door. And that's not a uh, slam on BMC or, or anything like that. That's just, we went from this, you know, I think all of us enjoyed being with a smaller, nimble um, type of sales organization. BMC was a, was a big company. You know, BMC was a $2 billion software company and they acquired us. And, you know, I think a lot of us were like, okay, so McMahon's going to leave and we're going to be sucked up into this big organization and become an overlay organization, which is like the kiss of death, you know, for, I'm not, and, and again, that's not a slam on overlay guys or whatever, but, you know, that's just not our, you know, that's not interesting to a lot of us. It's certainly not interesting to me. Um, so, you know, so on the, on the one hand, it was like, oh, we got acquired and uh, hopefully people made some money from that. But on the other hand, we were like, ah, eh, I don't know if I want to work for this big fat bureaucracy, but that quickly changed. And, um, and then, you know, and then it was pretty cool to be. You spoke to McMahon, didn't you? Oh yeah. I remember, uh, I, I remember calling McMahon when we got acquired and we were supposed to go down to, uh, we all went down to Nashville to this mm -hmm. sales kickoff or something, if I recall. But I remember calling McMahon saying, hey, what are you going to do? And he was kind of cagey because I was like, dude, I don't want to stay here. If, you know, I, I, you know, let us know what you're going to do. But I'm, I, there's a lot of people that are wondering what you're doing, John. And um, unbeknownst to us, I think he was being recruited at the time by the CEO to take over the worldwide sales organization because, um, you know, John, he was a known quantity and he had had a successful career and he, he knew what he was doing. And the CEO at that company, I think at the time was like, I think we want to take a little a fresher approach to, to, to the uh, sales culture at, at BMC. And so that's what happened. Mm. And so you've, you've taken a role, um, area director, 2008, 2009, and then a big move, January, 2010, area vice president of Central Europe. Tell us a little bit more. Well, I think um, my first duty assignment in the army in 1989 was to Germany. And this is back, uh, I don't know if you fellas heard about the Cold War, but there was this thing called the Cold War going on. Mm 
Heard about it, yes. Okay, yeah. And the Berlin Wall yeah. uh, was up. Yeah, so I went to Germany in the United States Army, uh, and the Berlin Wall was up, and you know the Russians were the bad guys and all that stuff. My wife and I had a blast living in Germany. So I remember when I was at Blade Logic, I remember telling John at one point, I was like, hey, man, if there's ever an opportunity for an overseas assignment, you know, I'd love to be considered for that. So long story short, uh, Andy Byron at the time was running Central Europe. He got asked to come back and McMahon called me up and uh, put me in touch with uh, Luca, who was running Europe at the time, Luca Lazaron. I interviewed with him and I took the job and went over to Europe and um, it's the best decision I ever made. It was a fantastic experience. Um, I went over there to run Central Europe for BMC. And um, I did a couple different things over there. But that's how I became tight with Jeremy Duggan and Cedric Pesh and a whole bunch of guys, Andy Sadler, Paul Kant, um, just a whole bunch of great guys that um, you know I, I consider friends to this day. And so from there, area, so you run Central Europe, year and a half, you then become area vice president, Amir, for the whole of Amir, running all the big strategic accounts. You do that role for just over two years, coming up to April 2013, and an opportunity knocks at your door at Buzzer Voice. Yeah, so what happened was um, I was... uh, due to rotate back with BMC, my, you know, I had extended for a year. It was supposed to be a two-year assignment. I extended for a third year. I was supposed to come back. And quite honestly, my wife and I, and we have three children at the time, and we were having a blast. And I remember Cedric Pesh had left BMC and was running Bizarre Voice for Europe. And um, I was talking to him and he was like, you know, Cedric, uh, he's a humble guy too. And Cedric's like, Paul, would you consider working for me and staying in Europe? And I was like, dude, absolutely. I would do that in a heartbeat. So that's what happened. I just got lucky because Kelly was the CRO, Kelly Connery, and I I knew him. And Cedric is a, a good friend. Um, and so they asked me to come over and it was great. And I did that. Uh, for two years. I ended up taking over for Cedric after he departed Bizarre Voice and um, had a blast. Uh, I ran Central Europe and then I ran all the Mia for Bizarre Voice. So it was fun. And then continuing on with that kind of journey, the onward journey. So um, you then took a president and CEO role in September 2015 at Lumavate, right? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I came back from Europe and um, I took, I, I, I told my wife, I was like, look, I'm going to take a couple months here because, you know, to be honest, ever since 2004, when I joined Blade Logic, I had been living on a plane, traveling, you know, throughout the Midwest and then in Europe on a plane all the time. It was a lot. Um, and that was, that was 11 years of hard running. 
I got back to Indianapolis, software mecca of the United States, as you guys know. <laughs> um, you know, not necessarily a big uh, the place to be for, to build your career, but you know, we call it home, and it's a wonderful place. So I got back here. I took some time to think. You know, what do I want to do? And a venture capital guy here locally in Indiana. Um, we had known each other, but not well. And um, he knew that I was, you know, on the street. And he talked to me about this idea that he had. And he asked me to, you know, take this job. And I, at the time, I, I, I really had no aspirations to be a CEO. Um, that wasn't on my radar of something I want to accomplish. But what it did do was it allowed me to stay in Indiana and actually come home for dinner every night, <laughs> uh, which seems very fundamental and basic, but it's something that I didn't get to do that often for the last 11 years. So I was very um, surprised and humbled that I was given this opportunity and it was a pretty raw opportunity. It was me and four software developers that started Lumivate. Um, I actually came up with the name. Um, it was pre-product. We had to go get money. We ended up, I ended up going through um, three rounds of financing over two years. Um, built it up to about 20 people. And we did, um, I don't know, we were getting up to about a half million million in, in, in revenue. But during that process, it was a great experience for me because I learned a lot about what it takes to get a software company started. Um, I learned a lot about venture capital and how it works. I learned a lot about um, how much I did not want to be a CEO. Uh, <laughs> and so it was, it was a really cool experience. But at the end of the day, I remember going to the board and saying, hey, let's find someone that really knows what they're doing and wants to be a CEO because that's, this, this isn't my gig. Um, it's been a wonderful experience, but we got to find someone that um, embraces this and, and, and wants to do it. Um, when you're CEO, you've got to worry about everything. You've got to worry about marketing and HR and uh, funding rounds and, and uh, you know, informing your investors and all this stuff. And that's not something that um, I wanted to do. I don't think I was good at it. Um, it's just, I'm better at sales. I'm better at just worrying about sales and salespeople, but it was a really cool experience. Um, and I did it for two years, had a really smooth transition with the current CEO and, and Lumivate's doing quite well, actually. They're, they're doing okay. Um, and they've got a CEO in there that's been a CEO before, successfully sold the company. Um, so that company is doing well. Um, but after that, I had, I thought that, okay, I, I had done everything I needed to do. Um, and I kind of took time off and I, I'm not going to say that I retired, but I was kind of in this no man's land of now what, what's next for, for me. And then the, uh, the app dynamics opportunity came up. And I suppose just before we continue in the journey through app dynamics and, and now snowflakes, um, we've obviously just released, um, a, a special edition series, which looks and speaks to a number of pre-sales individuals, at, um, uh, blade logic. Um, 
we've obviously discovered some fantastic things throughout that process, but, but what does pre-sales mean to you? Well, I'm not where I am unless I've got, unless I've cultivated and uh, um, leveraged the pre-sales talent that I've interacted with over the years. You know, um, I look at uh, pre-sales guys and like, I loved, I loved, I suck, but I love to play golf. Um, and I love to watch golf. Think about some of the great golfers and like Mickelson had Bones Mackay on his bag for 20 some years. Tom Watson had, had a caddy on his bag. Uh, I forget his name, but Bruce something. He unfortunately passed away. Uh, Tiger Woods had Stevie Williams for all those years. Um, those are some of the more notable Mm. caddies that I think about, but think about that relationship. I mean, Mickelson doesn't win 44 times on the tour without bones on the bag. Um, that was a partnership that was, yeah, Phil, I've got to make the swing, but I got to know what to do, how to do it, all the different things. Um, and so, you know, when you think about pre-sales, I know how to sell. I know how to get into a room. I know how to get a meeting. I know how to um, qualify pain, let's say, and 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 look and find out who's who's going to be my champion and who's a potential champion and who's a who's a naysayer and all those sales fundamentals that I know how to do. But my technical guy, he needs to know the product. He needs to know the industry. He needs to know what people wrestle with, pain wise. He needs to know, um, or she um, needs to know, uh, what do these, how do these people wrestle, or what are their, you know, daily challenges in their, the daily part of their job, and then translate that to me, so I can formulate it in some type of business problem or business outcome. So it's just a huge part of our job. I mean, no sales guy is successful unless they've got really talented pre-sales yeah yeah i think it was a, it was a real big highlight in the you know pre-sales is shouldn't be uh, used as a business tool you know they're there to, to to really support um and 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 they care just as much about the win as the sales guys um sometimes they care more <laughs> exactly and you know there's this transition which was kind of like a really important point, which was moving from a proof of concept to a proof of value. And I think that as a, as, as a change of time and a change of tactic, you know, really kind of, you know, instilled and created the value of, of pre-sales. The reason, um, I'll tell you, a good pre-sales person, first of all, we talk about A players in the sales space. And, a players are hard to come by. So you can hear, you know, a lot of times it's like, yeah, you want to recruit A players. Well, that's easier said than done because there aren't too many of them out there. That's why, you know, the term A players, most, most, most of them are B and C, right? But you always get a couple A players that spin it up. Well, the same can be said for pre-sales. And what I mean by that is 
pre-sales, the really good ones are folks that not only have the technical chops of the specific product that you're selling, whether it's, you know, at PTC, it was, you know, our pre-sales folks were degreed mechanical engineers. So they knew mechanical engineering, but they also have to have um, a presence. They have to have a personality. They have to be articulate. They have to have good communication skills. They have to have decent people skills. Well, I don't know too many people that know how to write code, write Python, understand Java, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they also, great people skills, really articulate, um, you know, know how to present, know how to communicate. Um, you know, they're, they're they're fully rounded person. And I think that's tough to find. That's, you know, that's your A player mm. in a pre-sales person. Mm. Yeah, great. Right. It has been an absolutely fascinating series and so insightful to see just how much they complement each other, but also how they kind of fill in a lot of the gaps and a lot of the detail that we've heard over the last few series. So yeah, really, really. Yeah. Well, that's a that's a credit to you guys for uh, spending time on that because most people don't. Um, so good for you because it's really important. It's an yeah, important absolutely. part of the sales process. So just going back to your journey to AppD, you took a bit of time after Lumivate. Um, and then who was it that um, enticed you across to AppD? Well, I would say it was two people. One, um, Dolly Ryich, who, you know, after, you know, when I went to Europe at BMC, he took my job. So I hired him and then he, I hired my replacement. And then he thrived and went on. And then he went to AppD and I obviously stayed in touch with him. I consider him a, a good personal friend, um, but I was thrilled to see his success and Jeremy's success at AppD. Um, when I came back and I took the CEO job, you know, obviously we stayed in touch, but when I was off, uh, we were, we would have conversations and Dolly would talk to me about different CRO jobs that he knew about that, you know, was I interested in this or that? And, he was happy to put me in touch with different folks. And I remember just, uh, you know, nothing really was interesting. Um, and he told me about this uh, position that was open and um, at AppD that they were, they had an issue and they needed to uh, backfill a person, let's say, and, and kind of um, uh, just, you know, write the ship in a certain part of the country. And then Tom Schmidt called me. And um, and told me because uh, I'd be I'd be working for Tom because Dolly was the CRO, Tom was the VT, VP in North America. So it's just funny because at BMC I was a second line manager. Dolly was a guy that I hired to be a front line manager, and his sales rep was Tom Schmidt. And so now we're going full circle, and I'm working for Tom Schmidt. So it was it was really funny, uh, but it was a real joy. So those two guys enticed me to come over to uh to AppD and it was fun didn't last too long though yeah well that was post acquisition wasn't it obviously so, so by that time AppD was transitioning into Cisco and obviously Dali went on to Zscaler where he's absolutely flying and rolling out his playbook once more and just having incredible yep. incredible success there yep yep uh, so awesome. ha having decided that your time was up at um, AppD. 
you then decide how did snowflake come about uh snowflake came about so i knew about snowflake um in the early days because john mcmahon was on the board at snowflake and uh a couple of guys that had worked for me. So a guy by the name of Thibaut Sorol, who I, um, I brought over to the UK from France and he took my job when I left Europe, he took over for me as running uh, bizarre voice for EMEA. Um, he joined Snowflake and kind of opened up Snowflake in Europe. Um, so I, I was well aware of Snowflake and I knew it was pretty cool uh, company. I had no idea of what was going to happen, but I knew it was a pretty cool company. Um, when I was at APD, um, a partner at Sutter Hill Ventures, who's uh, the primary recruiter at the time for Snowflake, contacted me because I had known him uh, for Chad quite Pates. some time. Chad, Chad Peets. Right. So Chad had done a lot of recruiting for us at Blade Logic. He knew, you know, he, he knew he knows a lot of us. Well, he contacted me and said, hey, there's an opportunity at Snowflake to uh, to run the South, Southeast. Um, and he had heard that I was in Atlanta and at the time at AppD and uh, I was living in an apartment um, with AppD because I knew it was going to be a temporary thing. I still have my house in Indiana. Um, so Chad contacted me and told me about Snowflake and um, told me about the opportunity. And I went and I had meetings with um, Chris Degnan and uh, at the time, Bob Muglia, the, the CEO but I got to tell you that the reason I joined Snowflake, I knew it was a good technology, but the reason I joined Snowflake was I had a meeting with Chris Degnan and you will not meet a better guy than uh, Chris Degnan, who's the CRO at Snowflake. He's just, he's a good human being. He's been ridiculously successful, but he's, you know, we talk about humility a lot. He just struck me as just a guy that was down to earth and just a guy that, you know, cared about people and, just was had created. I, I like, I like the culture. And so uh, I was like, I could work for this guy um, for sure. And I just got lucky, you know, luck and timing, um, <laughs> big factor. So yeah. here we are. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it was very good timing because obviously the IPO <laughs> happened earlier this year. And we're not going to talk about the, the share price, which today is north of $330. So um, that's, By the time uh, this is re released, I'd be surprised if it's not near the 400. Well, it's, you know, it's, it's, quite, it's quite a story, but um, I will say that, you know, I'm not going to comment on the share price or anything like that, but I will comment on the company, which is, it really is a tremendous company and it's a tremendous idea and it's a tremendous um, inflection point in the industry. And so I think that's why there's so much hype because what Snowflake has, is bringing to the table is, is truly remarkable. Yeah. yeah. How do you reflect on your career, Paul? If you were to kind of just take a moment and just think, what, what are you most proud of? I would say um, my the 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 blessing of the relationships that I've created over the 25 years I've been in this business. I've um, I'm just a really really lucky person because I went to a school 
at West Point, and anytime you go through a very difficult, challenging thing, you form relationships that last a lifetime. So I consider my classmates at West Point some of my closest friends to this day, and they've all gone on to do wonderful things and, and they're great people. But I think we're all so close because we went through hell together, um, especially that first year. And it was a very difficult experience. I would say that um, the same can be said in a much different way in your software sales career, my software sales career, because I've uh, PTC was certainly a tough experience, but it was a great experience. Um, Blade Logic was a tough experience, but it was a great experience. Um, those, those things have basically cultivated a series of relationships that I have to this day. And it's because they were challenging, but you, uh, you, you're just rewarded with really learning about people when you go through a tough experience, you know, their, their true selves are revealed. And I've just been, if I look back, I've got, I'm just very blessed to have the relationships and the friendships that I've had um, because of those experiences. What a lovely reflection. So do you, do you have at the moment, obviously you are at Snowflake currently, um, do, do you get much time for yourself, Paul? Do you, you know, you, you've obviously been very, very dedicated to your career for quite some time. You mentioned obviously golf, but w- what do you do in your spare time to, to, to find time for Paul? <laughs> uh, find time for Paul. <laughs> or do I've you find time Paul. for Paul? <laughs> yeah, Paul, Paul who? <laughs> Um, I've heard of that guy and I heard he's kind of a jerk. Um, no, I, uh, what do I do? I've got plenty of time. Um, and what I mean by that is, uh, you know, everything in, everything in, everything in doses, you know, the one thing that you learn over time is, um, how to measure, you know, at PTC, when I was a leader, I had zero time and that's because I didn't know any better. And I threw myself into, into your job. And then over time, you learn that that's probably not too healthy. Um, so, you know, when the weather's nice here in Indiana on the, on the weekends or late in the day, can I take, do I take time to go play around the golf or go have um, an impromptu lunch with my wife or an impromptu dinner or stuff like that? You know, yeah, that's, that's what you learn. Um, but in terms of, you know, if you're asking me, do I have any hobbies? No, I haven't, I haven't done that yet. I think, I think I'll wait till it's all over and then I'll, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll make model airplanes or, or buy a train set or something like that to keep me busy, keep me sharp. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, the final question we ask as part of the series is, um, does the hunter make the unicorn? Does the hunter make the uh, unicorn? So, in so I'll um, I'll explain. So, the hunter being the salesperson, would it be possible yeah. for the unicorns or the, the, the kind of the so-called unicorns to reach the success? The organisations that go and ultimately reach the billion-dollar valuation, would it be possible for those organisations to achieve those heights without the 
the people that are obviously driving those businesses? No. No. I can say that very definitively. I'll give you, um, I learned this a long time ago and, um, and I think it's still true. The CEO and, of uh, PTC was this guy, Steve Walski, <laughs> um, you know, who, you know, at the time PTC went from zero to a billion in revenue faster than any company, faster than Microsoft. Um, we were very proud of that. Uh, if you would listen to Walski, I remember um, he told us once that uh, these Wall Street guys were talking to him and they said, you know, what's the key to PTC? Because PTC truly had a unique technology. It was a paradigm shifting technology. There's no doubt about that. It was an unbelievable product. But Walski said, you give me my competitor's product and give me my sales force and we'll, we'll, kill, we'll kill PTC. And what it told me was he, he placed a lot of premium on his sales force and the, 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 uh, the cultivation of that. And, and he knew what a weapon it was, what an asset it was. So the answer to your question is, does the hunter make the unicorn? I think it does in the sense that, um, you know, if you talk about all these great companies that are out there that have done quite well um, and all the guys you're talking to, some of the technologies are truly great, um, truly innovative and paradigm shifting. I would, I would count Snowflake as one of those. Um, but without a proper, you know, without a sales process and a culture and the right people driving that process, you know, without um, some fundamental things like a qualification methodology, um, the process and the qualification and people that know how to implement those things, then, you know, you'll see there's been some great technologies that have died on the vine or they haven't, they've been acquired, let's say by other companies, because maybe the sales, you know, it's running out of gas and some other company comes in and picks it up. Um, and then they, they take it or whatever, but the true unicorns, the true ones that, that blow it out, they've, they've, they've solved that problem, which is a uh, sales execution. And I think, you know, great answer. Great answer. So this is the point in the session where I try and summarize what we've heard today. And I think that there's two things, two dynamics that are in play here. Um, and I think, Going back to your beginnings where at West Point, you, you came from kind of a military background. Um, I imagine it was very tough, very regimented, very um, challenging. Um, and then PTC following a very, very similar suit in terms of there was a lot of process, a lot of demands. Um, it really set a lot of the rhythm that you were able to kind of build on. And once that struggle became natural, I believe that it brought the other side of the dynamic, which is the human side. And because you had banked that ability to create rhythm in being able to, to, to just do the work that needs to be done, 
it stopped being about the concentration on those things. And I think what you've, the reason why so many people have mentioned you by name is because you bring such a, a, such an honest and humble and human side that it makes you such a fundamental part of this incredible tree. And you've touched so many people on this journey it just shows just how special this group, these these individuals, and as a collective, and you are as a person. So thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. So, so just just a, just a great great experience. So thank you so much. Well, thank you. It's been I've I've really enjoyed it and. Um, I would. I couldn't agree with you more about everyone else. Not me, but I couldn't agree with you more about everyone else. I think I. I probably drag everyone else down. But, yeah. but thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure for me. Um, and I think what you guys are doing is is a lot of fun. And and hopefully it helps. It helps out some people that are you know looking the next generation of folks that are looking to create their own network and create their own um, ecosystem of 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 accomplishment. So thank you. It definitely will. And I think, you know, in true humble style, Paul, you know, you've demonstrated that, you know, by helping others, you know, it, 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 it's the best formula. Um, and so, yeah, thank you ever so much, Paul. Really, really, really enjoyed this talk. And um, I'm sure all our viewers will be absolutely, you know, just as thrilled as we have been to, to listen and hear, hear your story. Now, do I get paid per view? Yeah. <laughs> did, we, did we talk about that? <laughs> what is it? Or do we... Should I have my lawyers call you guys or what? Yeah. What's going on? It's in the small print. Uh, you pay up. <laughs> you after, so you after, are you after stock options? Yeah. <laughs> We're free IPO at the moment. Free IPO. Free IPO. That's right. Good. That's good to hear. No, so, thanks very much, fellas. It's been a real pleasure. No, Absolutely. thank you. So to our viewers and to our listeners, we hope you've enjoyed today's session. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you agree with us. It's been really, really great welcoming Paul with us today. If you've enjoyed, please do remember to subscribe, share, comment, like. There's lots and lots of content available on our website. So please do check out so muchsoap.com forward slash blog. And we look forward to welcoming you for another session soon. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.